please stand one more time as we read our passage of scripture for this morning. Y'all be focusing on, uh, on Matthew 6, uh, verse, verses 12, 14, and 15, but I'm going to read the, the entirety of the, of the model prayer. Matthew 6, 9 to 15. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. that we have received in Christ. Lord, for those here who have repented and put their faith in Jesus, Lord, each one has had every sin, past, present, and future forgiven. And so, Lord, we thank you. We praise you for this great forgiveness, this unsurpassing gift that you've given us in Christ. Lord, I pray also that you would help us Lord, to understand the requirement that you have given those who have been forgiven, that they too must also forgive. Lord, we realize that this is extremely difficult and without your help it is impossible. Lord, I pray that as we think about these things this morning, as we would think about the forgiveness that we have received in Christ, that we too would be those who eagerly give forgiveness to others and so reflect the forgiveness of Christ. Amen. What would you say the biggest problem that people face as humans would be? Death? No. Disaster? No. It's debt. It's debt. The biggest problem that you have as a human being is debt. Have you ever felt the burden of debt? The insurmountable debt, that debt that, that kept accumulating every single day, causing you to sink under its weight? Have you ever felt that kind of debt? Well, the reality is that we have all experienced that kind of debt. We all have an insurmountable, have had an insurmountable debt, a debt that we've added to every single day. A few weeks ago, we looked at the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, Your Kingdom Come. We spoke about how the kingdom refers to God's rule and God's reign, to, to God's justice. We spoke about how the, the coming of God's kingdom Ultimately, in its, in its consummation, means the return of Christ and final justice in Christ. The kingdom of God is, is described as, a, as being like a king settling his accounts. And if you please turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 18, verse 23. Matthew 18, verse 23. 
or the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, what was brought to him owed him 10,000 talents. Now let's just think about that, that sum for a second. 10,000 talents is, is what he owed. And a, a, a talent is, one talent was the equivalent of about two years' wages for a laborer. One talent is, was the equivalent of two years' wages. So this man, even if he were to pour all of his income into paying back that debt, it would have taken him 20,000 years to pay off that debt that he owed to the king. It was insurmountable. The king ordered that he and his wife and his children be sold into slavery and that the proceeds go toward the debt. But, but even selling them into slavery would, would really be just a drop in the bucket compared to how big that debt was. Verse 26, the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Think about how big that debt was. He said, I will pay you everything. What did the king do? Verse 27, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. That, that master, that king, would have been well within his rights and it would have been perfectly just to send that servant from his presence and have his family sold into slavery. But instead he was merciful. He was merciful. How would it feel to have that kind of a debt lifted from your shoulders? That kind of a burden struck from your record. Well, how should it feel? And you don't have to imagine too hard what it would feel like because if you're here as a true Christian, as a born-again follower of Jesus Christ, you have had an insurmountable debt paid. Immeasurably more than just what it would take you 20,000 years to pay off. It would take all of eternity and you would still not be able to pay off that debt. You were meant to put yourself into this story. You were meant to, to identify with this servant. This is, again, not just a financial debt. It's a debt of guilt. It is a moral debt. You sin every single day. You still sin every single day. And even if you were to stop sinning at this moment, you would still have that debt to deal with. But you didn't stop sinning. You will not stop sinning until the Lord returns and you are finally glorified. But, but your, it wasn't just what you did that was sin. Your entire life was sin. Friends, your biggest problem is debt, and your greatest need is forgiveness. This is no ordinary debt, this is no ordinary king. If you've repented and put your faith in Christ, you have had your debt of guilt forgiven, and your forgiver is the Holy God. So you are meant to identify with that servant. But there's at least one major difference between you and that servant. He fell on his knees begging, have mercy, I'd rather have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. But you begged, have patience with me, and Christ will pay you everything. 
Have mercy on me and Christ will pay you everything. Christ bore all of your sins, fellow believer. Christ bore all of your sins, past and present and future, on the cross. 1 Peter 2.24, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree. And Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on the tree. So if you are in Christ and you have had your debt of guilt paid by Christ, how should that make you feel? You know, I remember when I was first saved, and, and, and many of you know my testimony, I was saved in a psychiatric hospital. When I, when I was first saved and, and was, was released soon thereafter, went back to my parents' place, and, and, and I was literally rolling in the grass with joy. Literally rolling around with joy over the forgiveness that I have received in Christ. I looked crazier at that moment than I did probably at any other time in my life, but I was the most sane probably at that moment that I ever had been in my life. Feeling the debt of guilt, that burden lifted. And if you were in Christ, that is you. You have received that same forgiveness. Think of Pilgrim and of Christian Pilgrim's progress when, when he came to the, the foot of the cross. The burden that he had been carrying fell off of his back and rolled into the tomb, never to be seen again. If you are in Christ, your burden of guilt has been lifted from your back and is rolled into the tomb of Christ and will never be seen again. Brothers and sisters, your debt and your need for forgiveness has all been, been taken care of you, has been paid for you by Christ. Again, how should that make you feel? Thankful, joyful, hopeful. Yes, all of those things, but it should also make you loving. It should make you loving toward, feel loving towards God and also toward those around you. That's not always the case, is it? It's not always the case that, that, that we who have experienced forgiveness forgive others. Still in Matthew 18, look at verse, verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. Now a denarii was about a day's wages for a laborer. So it would have been the equivalent to about a hundred days' pay. And so a hundred denarii, it wasn't a pittance, but, but compared to 10,000 talents, it was minuscule, a minuscule debt. He had been forgiven so much, but now he would not forgive his servant, his fellow servant, who owed him very little in comparison. And his fellow servant pleaded with him, as he himself had before the king, verse 29, have patience with me and I will pay you. But did he have mercy as the king had had on him? No, he refused and he had that fellow servant put in prison until he could pay the debt. And again, you are to put yourself in that story. Again, if you were in Christ, you've been forgiven a massive debt. 
So how should you respond to those who are indebted to you? What happened to that unforgiving servant? The king found out. Verse 32, he summoned him and said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Jesus' warning was clear. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. We need to pray the fifth petition of the model prayer. We need to pray and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Even though the first half of this prayer is, is about God and His glory, those first three petitions, the, the final three petitions are about, and about, are about our needs, these petitions still go together. The first half is still tied to the second half. Listen to Adolf Safer. God forgives in heaven, we forgive on earth. God forgives to manifest His glory in the salvation of sinners, thus establishing His kingdom in the renewed hearts of believers who are conformed to the image of Christ. God's will is done on earth as in heaven, when mercy reigns below in our hearts and lives, as it reigns on the throne above. So this fifth petition is, is very much tied to the first three, but it is also tied to the fourth petition. The, the petition, give us this day our daily bread. That and at the beginning of verse 12 links it with the other two positions. It, it's almost as if D.A. Carson says that, that life sustained by food is not enough. We also need forgiveness of sin and deliverance from temptation. We need our Heavenly Father to provide bread daily, and we need to, Him to forgive us daily. We need also to forgive others daily. Our daily hunger returns and so do our sins. So debt is our biggest problem and forgiveness is our greatest need as we relate to God. But our forgiveness does not stop there. We need to forgive others as well. So you need to pray daily for forgiveness. Not just that you would be forgiven, but also as a commitment that you will daily forgive others. And that's really the underlying message of, of the fifth petition of the model prayer. Again, Matthew 6, 12, Jesus teaches us to pray and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And you don't say this just as merely a formulaic set of words that you say in a tradition. You're meant to actually pray this. You're not meant to pray specifically these words, but you're meant to pray this, this concept. When you, when you think about this petition, you're meant to think about the, the forgiveness that you need. You're meant to <coughs> examine your heart, examine your life, and, and ask the Lord to expose sin. It, it, you, could, you really ought to be praying this in the morning and in the evening when you, when you go to bed and say, Lord, please forgive me for, for X, Y, and Z sins that, that I committed against you during the day. Please forgive me for, for my failure to forgive others. That's why this is a daily prayer. We need to pray this daily. 
You need to be forgiven, and you need to forgive others daily. Jesus underscores the importance of our forgiving others in verses 14 and 15. Now, this is the only petition in this prayer that Jesus makes comment on. Verses 14 and 15 of Matthew 6. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus is saying here, if you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. If you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. So there's really two points that Jesus makes with this fifth petition. There's 12a, you need to be forgiven. And 12b, 14 to 15, you need to forgive others. It, it's, it's very simple. It's a simple concept, but extremely difficult to do. I can really sum up this, this whole message with these two sentences. Forgiven people are forgiving people. Unforgiving people are not forgiven people. I'll say that again. Forgiving people, forgiven people are forgiving people. Unforgiving people are not forgiven people. So first of all, you need to be forgiven. You need to be forgiven. Now we all know that in a general sense, we, we need to be forgiven. We, we know we, we sin. We, we, we know we do the wrong thing. But forgiven of what, though? Well, Jesus says here, forgiven of debts. Forgiven of debts. And we've already spent some time discussing what, what that means, but... When Jesus here talks about being forgiven of debts, A.W. Pink is helpful. He says that, that we owe God sincere and perfect worship together with earnest and perpetual obedience. Failure to discharge our debt of worship and obedience has entailed guilt, bringing us into debt to divine justice. So anything less than perfect worship and perfect obedience is sin. And it incurs moral debt against God. Every angry word, every lustful glance, every selfish act, every wasted moment, every display of pride, every piece of gossip, every defiance of authority, every anxious thought, every time you disobey God's moral law, you are adding to your debt. It's not just sins of, of, of commission, it's also sins of omission. It, it's not just that you, you do what you shouldn't, but it, you don't do what you should. The, sum, the law is summed up in this, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22, 37 to 39. So what you need to do then is, is, is not just... just just perfect worship, and not just perfect obedience, but also perfect love. Anything less than perfect worship and perfect obedience from perfect love adds to your debt. Anything less than perfect love for others adds to your debt. So what are some, some ways not to deal with your sin? We, we, we acknowledge that, that we sin, we acknowledge that, that, that we we do the, the wrong thing, but the wrong way to deal with, with debt, the wrong way to deal with sin is to ignore, to excuse, to blame, to wallow in guilt or, or self-pity or to give up. There's only one right way 
to deal with your sin. And that's to ask for forgiveness. So with the, fifth, with the fifth petition, we come to God asking for forgiveness for our debts. We're asking Him to cancel our debt, to release us from the consequences of our sin. But again, it's not just, just for our sin alone. With, with this petition, we also intercede for those around us, for, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And for, for even others, further afield, even for unbelievers, that, that, God, that God would forgive them as well. So we come to God asking for forgiveness. But if you have come to Christ in repentance and faith, if you're a Christian, your debt has been forgiven. All of, all of those th things that, that you did, your, your very life, the, the very the sin that, that controlled you, the sin that has described your life has been forgiven in Christ. Your debt has been forgiven for every time you failed to love God perfectly. Every time you failed to love your neighbor as yourself. In Christ, God forgave it all. So what happens when, when God forgives someone? He removes their sin from them. <coughs> as far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. Psalm 103 verse 12. He will again have compassion on us. He will, will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. Micah 7, 19. But how does God do that? How does God forgive? Well, we think, well, it's God's, it's, it's God's job to forgive. Right? It's what he does. And that's true. But we also need to understand that God is just. And the just and holy God must punish sin. So how then does God stay, stay forgiving? How is he gracious and, and merciful and loving, yet at the same time, how, is he, how does he remain holy and just? How could God do that? He does that by punishing his son. Your place. The only way that, that God's grace and, and mercy and love could be satisfied along with his, his holiness and his justice is that there would be a substitute. A substitute for your sin. The only way that God can forgive you is by punishing his son in your place. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, the uncircumcision in your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses, now hear this, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he laid aside, nailing it to the cross. He nailed your debt to the cross. Now the image of the, of the way that, this, that, that your debts are forgiven comes to us from the ancient Near East, where sometimes when, when a debtor had, had, had finished paying off his debt, the, the, the creditor would, would drive the nail, drive a nail through the certificate of debt to show that the debt had been paid in full. Beloved, when Christ died on the cross, 
God was driving a nail through His Son who bore the infinite debt of your sin. Think of Horatio Spafford's hymn, as well as my soul. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. And you might be asking then, if all of our debts have been paid, why do we still need to ask for forgiveness? If all of our sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future, why are we told here to ask for forgiveness, even to daily ask for forgiveness? Why is this to be part of your daily prayer life? Because you sin every day. You break God's commandments every day in thought and word and deed. And your sin causes a separation between you and God. And so you pray for forgiveness daily because your relationship needs to be restored daily. Think about, about your relationship with your spouse. If you constantly and chronically sin against them and never ask for forgiveness, are, are you going to be feeling very close with them? Are they going to be feeling very close with you? No, of course not. There, there's distance. There's distance. If that's true of, of another human being, how much more is it true of the Holy God? Philip Ryken says, it means asking God to take the forgiveness that is already granted through Christ's death on the cross and to apply it directly and freshly to our sins. John MacArthur's comments are helpful here. He, he draws a, a distinction between judicial forgiveness and parental forgiveness. He, he explains that, that as, at, at, our, at our conversion, all of our sins are, are totally and completely and forever forgiven. But as Christians, he says that we, we have to ask daily for, for forgiveness because of the need for parental forgiveness, forgiveness, in which we're dealing with God as a loving Father. And so the issue here then is, is not the recovery of our eternal souls, but the recovery of intimacy, of intimacy with God. And so he says, this is not the prayer of some, of some unbeliever praying for salvation. This is the forgiveness that gives a fullness of joy in intimacy with God. And so judicial forgiveness takes care of the fact of salvation, whereas parental forgiveness takes care of the joy of salvation. Again, just, just think about, about with, your, with your spouse. Think about, about times when, when you guys have had a really big argument. Something, something really, just, just there was a, just a wedge was between you and that you could feel the, the ice in the room whenever the other person came into the room or you entered the room. But then think about how you felt when, when you or the other asked for forgiveness and, and it was granted. Just the burden of, of weight that was lifted from your shoulders. How much more again when we ask forgiveness from the Holy God. So this, this is a, the prayer of a Christian. This is the prayer of someone who is, is really born again, but who is, is aware of, of their continued sinfulness and their continual need to ask 
their father for forgiveness. This is, this is the, the, a child coming to their father, to their loving and faithful heavenly father. Trusting that he is going to grant that forgiveness. So when we, when we ask God to forgive our debts, we can trust that he will give his forgiveness. Jesus taught us to pray our Father in heaven. So this is a prayer to your Father. And the fatherhood of God will never be removed from a true child of God. Just I could quote many verses on this, but this is for a couple. To, to, to teach that God will never disown a Christian. John 10, 28 and 29. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Or Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the great forgiveness that we have received in Christ. Not just complete and total forgiveness for all time, but complete and total forgiveness for today, for this very moment. Joel Beakey explains it like this. He says we live in an already not yet world. We're already glorified positionally. Our salvation is sure. But in terms of our sanctification, it is a process. We need ongoing faith and ongoing repentance. So we need to pray this petition every day. We need to ask here, what happens as someone continues in a pattern of unrepentant sin? What happens if their life is characterized by not asking for forgiveness? very likely means that they were never saved in the first place. Now as far as the time frame of, of how long someone can go in, in unrepentant sin, I, I, don't, I don't pretend to, to know that. In some cases it can be a long time. We know that David, after he committed adultery and, and murder, it was probably close to a year before Nathan the prophet came to him and rebuked him for the sin. So he had continued in that sin for, for a long time. Because, you know, the baby was born by the time Nathan came to him. So it can be a, a long period of time, but, but you need to ask yourself, is my life characterized by repentance? Is my life characterized by asking God for forgiveness? And if it's not, you really need to wonder whether you're truly saved. Now, you're not saved on the basis of your repentance. None of us has perfect repentance. Joshua read for us from the, the uh, we need, from the, the, the Valley of Vision. I need to repent of my repentance. Your repentance is never good enough. Your repentance, you're, you're saved on the basis of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, those who are saved repent and put their faith in Jesus, but you're not saved on the basis of that repentance and that faith. It's not faith in the repentance, and it's not faith in faith. It's faith in Christ. It's faith in Christ alone. Christ is the basis for your salvation. 
But those who believe the gospel will seek repentance. It's like James says in James 2.17, faith without works is dead. Works reveal the reality of true conversion and confession and asking forgiveness also reveal conversion. But there's something else that reveals true conversion. The forgiveness of others. The forgiveness of others. And so the second point here then is you need to forgive others. You must forgive others. The petition says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Are you seeking forgiveness from God? Then you must grant forgiveness to others. What does the Lord mean here in, 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 verse, in this verse when he says, he says, as we have forgiven our debtors. What does that, that as mean? Well, as cannot refer to the degree of your forgiveness or reveal the proportion between God's forgiveness and yours because, because God's forgiveness is infinitely greater than your forgiveness. As also can't refer to the priority of your forgiveness because God's forgiveness always comes first enabling you to forgive others. As also can't be the cause of your forgiveness because God always forgives Christians unconditionally. As simply means since. It expresses the fact that you must forgive if you're going to ask God to cancel your debt, to release you from the consequence of your sin, then you must also do that for others. When you forgive someone, it means that you're no longer holding their sin against them. Say you're refusing to, to hold on to anger in your heart. That you're refusing, to, refusing the right to talk about it with them or with others. It, it means that you're refusing the right to dwell on it in your mind. But it also means that you are going to love them. It means that, that when you forgive someone, it means that you are to seek God's best for them. So God is commanding you to forgive. He's commanding you to forgive that person that is on your mind right now. Who is God commanding you to forgive? But maybe it's somebody who's never even asked for forgiveness. Maybe it's somebody who doesn't even think they've done anything wrong still to forgive them. You're still to forgive them. And that's when the stakes get a lot higher. That's when it, when it becomes a lot harder. This is hard. In fact, it's impossible apart from God's grace. And I've experienced that in my preparation for this sermon. Every week as I prepare to preach, I, I, I have to examine my own heart and say, how does this, how does this apply to, to my life? I can't just preach this, this to you. I can't take the church somewhere that I haven't been. And over the last several weeks, as, as, as I've been, it's, it's really amazing, but in God's providence, there, there's been some, some old hurts that were reopened. And in some cases, it became apparent that I had not really forgiven people that I thought that I had. In other cases, there, there's people that I needed to forgive again. And sometimes it's because they sinned against me again. 
was just because I took up unforgiveness in my heart against them again, even though they hadn't done anything new. I think I understand a little more now what it means that I need to pray this prayer daily. I become increasingly aware of just how easy it is for me to take up unforgiveness again. How hard it is sometimes for me to forgive others. We forgive others as God has forgiven us. So when God forgives us, he says, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Jeremiah 31, 34. Now when, when God says here that he will not remember their sins anymore, he, he is not saying that he forgets. God is not saying that he forgets because God is immutable. His knowledge is immutable. And he still knows every sin that you've ever committed and every sin that he's ever forgiven. But as R.C. Sproul says, when God speaks of forgetting our sins, it means that he remembers them against us no more. That God remembers our sins against us no more. He doesn't hold it against us anymore. He doesn't look at us and see that guilt. Brothers and sisters, he looks at us and he sees his son. He looks he looks at us and he sees Christ because the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to us and that's how God sees us. How do you see those who have sinned against you? Do you really love them? It's so vital for the, for the sake of the, of the church community that we forgive one another. Not just in the community, but, but further afield. Don't ever make the mistake of thinking that, that your sin and that your unforgiveness affects just you. It will probably hurt you more than the, the other person that you are holding onto that unforgiveness of, but it will also affect those around you. D.A. Carson explains that the repetition here in verses 14 to 15 stressed the deep importance for the community of disciples to be a forgiving community if its prayers are to be effective. He cites uh, Psalm 66, 18. If I cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Holding unto, onto unforgiveness is truly iniquity. It's iniquity. <coughs> the writer of Hebrews warns, he says, see to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many are defiled. Hebrews 12, 15. Your unforgiveness will spread. That root of bitterness will infect anyone that it comes into contact with. And so you need to be diligent to take care of unforgiveness in your heart, and when you witness it in somebody else around you, you need to pray for them. You need to lovingly go to them and call them to repentance for that sin. So J.C. Ryle tells us that the plain object of this then is to remind us that we must not expect our prayers for forgiveness to be heard if we pray with malice or spite in our hearts towards others. To pray in such a frame of mind, he says, is mere formality and hypocrisy. He says it's even worse than hypocrisy. It is as much as saying, do not forgive me at all. Jesus teaches this principle twice more in the Sermon on the Mount. And 
In Matthew 5, 22, he says, Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Very serious. Matthew 7, 2, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with that measure you use, it will be measured against you. You can find this, this principle throughout the Bible. James teaches it too, James 2.13. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Is mercy triumphing in your life? Is mercy triumphing in your life? If you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. You will not be forgiven. Verses 14 to 15, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. <coughs> forgiven people are forgiving people. Unforgiving people are not forgiven people. We're not talking about conditional Conditional forgiveness here. This is our forgiveness in Christ is unconditional. Well, it's conditional because but Christ met the conditions. He met all of the conditions. What Jesus is saying here is that if you do not forgive others, then you are not forgiven. It says if you are not characterized by forgiving other people, you are not a Christian. You have not experienced the forgiveness of God. E.W. Pink describes forgiveness as a severe test of discipleship, revealing whether you are truly saved. He says, very searching indeed are these words constituting a severe test of discipleship, a test which excludes from the ranks of God's children those professors who cherish a spirit of malignity and revenge, refusing to forgive those who injure them. Now I understand I know personally the, the difficulty at times in forgiveness. I know the battle that goes on in my own heart. And I know that I'm not alone in this. I know that all of us, to one degree or another, struggle with this. But like, like not seeking repentance for, for other sins, I don't know how long you can walk in, in unforgiveness to, to, before it proves that you're really not a believer in the first place. I really don't know the answer to that. But again, take this as a warning. A warning from Christ to forgive others, to examine your heart when you do not. You cannot forgive apart from God's supernatural work in your heart. But if God has done a supernatural work in your heart in regeneration, then you will be the kind of person who forgives. You will be a forgiving person if you have been forgiven. He is going to sanctify you. He's going to work in your heart by His Holy Spirit to enable you to do what you never could have done otherwise. He will enable you to forgive that person. Yes, even that person. Because you forgive out of the depths of the forgiveness that you have received in Christ. Think again about the debt that that servant owed. 
we all owed a debt infinitely greater than that debt. But for those who have had that debt paid, for those who have received the riches of Christ's forgiveness, you have an, an, a blank check for, for being able to forgive others. You've been given the ability, if you have had an experience of salvation, if you are a truly born-again follower of Jesus who has been forgiven for all of your sins, then you are the kind of person who will forgive others. So what do you do then when thoughts of unforgiveness pop up again in your heart and in your mind? What do you do when you're tempted to, to withdraw forgiveness or to not grant it in the first place? Don't just try to, to empty your mind of the wrong thought. Instead, fill your mind with the truth. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Romans 12, 2. Preach truth to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. Remember how much you have been forgiven. Remember how much God loves you, even though you sinned against Him, and, and you sinned against Him infinitely worse than anyone has ever done anything to you. Remember what you deserve. Remember what you deserve from God and what you deserve from others. And so no matter what happens to you, you know that you are getting better than you deserve. Preach the gospel to yourself. Preach Christ to yourself. Remember how he was the only innocent one. He's the only one who, who, who ever could say, I'm innocent of every charge. Think about how horrifically people sinned against him. But remember how he responded. And preach this to, you, for, to yourself. Isaiah 53, 7. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Preach God's providence to yourself. Remember that God is sovereign over your circumstances. Remember that even though he is... He is, is not the author of sin. He is sovereign even, even over that person who sinned against you. Remember that God loves you in Christ. That he's going to use their sin to sanctify you. I think of David's response here when, when he was fleeing from Absalom and, and Shimei cursed him. And David's servants wanted to go over there and take off his head. What did David say? He trusted. Well, first he rebuked his own servants. But he trusted that God had a plan even in that for his good. Preach God's justice to yourself. God is a just God. Time and truth go hand in hand. Every single wrong will be made right. You'll often see God deal with it in this life. But if you do not, you will see it dealt with on that day. Be confident that God will take care of every injustice, every sin that was committed against you. Preach God's love to yourself. Remember, remember how much God loves you and how little you deserve His love. You're commanded to love like that. 1 John 4, 20 and 21, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For, who, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This commandment we have from him 
Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Finally, pray. Pray that God will help you to forgive. God is as willing to forgive you as he is to help you forgive others. God will help you to forgive that person who sinned against you. If you do not forgive, you are not forgiven. May the Lord reveal any lack of forgiveness in us, any lack of forgiveness received, or lack of forgiveness given. Is, anything need, is there anything you need to ask God for forgiveness for? Maybe you're here this morning as an unbeliever, unconverted, come to Christ and find forgiveness in Christ. Even if you're here as a Christian, is there anything that you need to ask God for forgiveness for? Maybe you need to ask God for forgiveness for your failure to forgive others. We need forgiveness. We need to be forgiven and we need to forgive. We do all of these things through Christ who strengthens.